You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks for listening. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to Epsom Downs. It is the eve of the derby. It is Oaks and Coronation Cup Day here. It's a beautiful day as well. There's some wispy light cloud, but it's very warm, just a gentle breeze blowing. You'd say the perfect drying conditions after quite a bit of rain fell on the track earlier this week. Uh, Lydia's alongside me to look ahead to the Kazoo Derby tomorrow, the Platinum Jubilee Kazoo Derby and all the action this afternoon. I don't really want to move, to be honest. We're very comfortable here, aren't we? It's a lovely view, isn't it? We're looking at the the grandstands here at Epsom across the track for the other side where the media centre is. And we can see all the the new areas that have grown up during the course of the recent years. And the sun is lovely. And I've just realised I haven't brought any sun cream and that's bothering me. Do you have any? You're looking right at it. Just just across the table there. There we are. 50 plus for kids. (laughs) Ideal. That's what you need. That's what you need for today. Uh, forecast for tomorrow is a little more indistinct. Still, yeah. still, even on Friday morning. So it's not impossible we get a deluge before the derby. But I think we, with our betting boots on, I think we have to sort of think about good ground, don't we? At least. I think so. But you were making the point earlier in the week on the podcast that it's going to. It's likely that there is going to be some rain, I think, and it's just when that rain is going to hit. The, um, I mean, it could miss us completely. It could do. I, I think it's probably not... Oh, well, I don't know. From the forecast that I've, I've, I've seen, there seems to be some confluence about the idea that there will be rain in the early part of tomorrow. Um, and so it's going to be a drying day today as well. You've got to bear that in mind. It's going to be a hot day. It's going to be drying conditions. So you're probably talking about good ground. It could end up being the dead side of good. Let's hope it's not the slippy side of good. Okay, let's launch into tomorrow's big race and try and park the weather a little bit and and assess the the merits of this 17-strong field. Sadly, no Eden, as we said yesterday. But first of all, only the third time this millennium we've had a field this big, which is kind of a bit of a throwback in the week where we said goodbye to Leicester Piggott. I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And many of the races over these two days have got big fields. I mean, the woodcut today is... Mm, is 12 in the woodcut. I mean, that's a large field. The biggest field I can find for a Yeah, I I mean, I was going back and I couldn't find one that was bigger. So that's really good as well. So it's good to see that this meeting over the two days is thriving. And it's great to have that many runners in the Kazoo Derby. It's going to make for a more intriguing race, isn't it? You know, jockey skills, positioning skills. It's going to be absolutely paramount. Five jockeys having their first ride in the race. And the man who rides the favourite Desert Crown, Richard Kingscote, having only his second ride in the race. There's a lot of inexperience in there, both in terms of the horses in the race and the riders on board. Yeah, and clearly Desert Crown is inexperienced. You saw that when he hit the front in the Dante, he kind of shifted around the track a little bit. There was a lot to like, I thought, from that performance. Um, Sir Michael Stad said afterwards that he'd had a little bit of a hold-up in February. That meant that the earliest they could get him to the course this season was for the Dante. You would factor in, naturally with Sir Michael Stad's way of, of bringing a horse to a ball, you'd factor in improvement. But I think you'd factor in particular improvement, given those comments. And the trainer has been notably 
um, positive mm. on the subject of A, ability and B, stamina. There's little not to like. Now, clearly, he is inexperienced. There will be a lot of pressure on Richard Kingscott. The kind of pressure that he, he is going to have to get more used to, but hasn't yet you know, prove, had the chance to prove himself. It's not to say he, he won't be perfectly fine with it. He tends to be a pretty cool customer. I'm sure he will be. Um, but he is going to need to find a good position from stall 12 that plays to Desert Crown's strengths. Yeah, he just wants not to think about it too much, doesn't he? So if you look at Stout's Derby history, it's all been Swinburne, then Fallon, really, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, then, yeah. and then Ryan Moore. Yes, don't think about that. Yeah, no, don't think don't, about that, don't. just move on. Yeah. Talking about Ryan Moore, he does ride Stone Age. Was that obvious of the Ballydoyle 3? Yes, I think it was, actually. Um, I think he's got the the strongest chance. Um, there's... In, there's plenty enough encouragement on his pedigree that he'll improve for a step up to a mile and a half. In terms of his overall career trajectory, he's improving all the time. Um, I liked the authoritative defeat of Glory Days. Um, yeah, I, 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 th- I think he, he'll go well and he'll, he'll have to go, he'll go forward from stall four, won't you think? I, I would have thought so. You certainly don't want to get shuffled too far back. There is quite a lot of pace from the outside. Changing of the guard with cheek pieces is stable companion. Now, here's the interesting one. I wasn't expecting Shami Heffernan to go for Star of India over changing of the guard. Were you? No, I wasn't. Um, and there's been a bit of a cool more buzz for Star of India as well. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, he did take a big step forward from the Craven to the D-Stakes, didn't he? I mean, in, in the Craven, he was just kind of... Uh, and also ran, didn't really get involved. And then that typical way that Aidan O'Brien increasingly has trained for quite a few seasons now. But that big step forward as we get more into the sort of derby trial um, element of the season. And he did take a big step forward in the D-Stakes. That was a, a, a really good defeat of Cresta. Um slight doubt about the trip but I mean he is by Galileo so that would give you encouragement whereas you there isn't really any doubt about changing the guard albeit that he controlled a steadily run just about 12 furlongs Chester Vars you know the fact that they've added cheek pieces it does suggest that they feel that they can be quite aggressive on him in order to make it a, a good test of stamina yeah and I suspect that Godolphin will be up there with their third string Nahani as well ridden by last year's winning rider Adam Kirby another son of Frankel now Kieran Fallon was talking up Walk of Stars the James Doyle ridden Godolphin second string yesterday but surely William Buick's unequivocal pick for for nation's pride is pointing us in the right direction or is it? Yeah I think it is I can see Walk of Stars I think he's going to go one of two ways following his quite raw gawky performance in the Lingfield Derby trial Is he a first or last candidate for you? Uh, Possibly yeah possibly I mean he, 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 he can be keen he can dwell in the gate you know there's lots of things that could potentially go wrong so yeah he is right at the front of the field or right at the back of the field probably nothing in between for me um Nahani's gritty we know he's already proven over the trip we know he handles the track he'll probably stay further than this I mean surely he is going to have to have to have to go forward I can see him running worthily um but I think I think we've been discussing this before if there's a bit of class in that team it's surely nation's pride after that win at Newmarket Okay, and if Ryan Moore or Frankie Dottori were to win this race, they're both on two each. They would then equal the little group on three since the war, which is uh, Fallon, Edry, Swinburne, Murta. Just underlines how hard this race is to win, doesn't mm. it? It does, yeah, very much so. Carson four, Pig at nine, mm. post-war, that yeah. is. Obviously, in early days, they carved it up between them. They were on about four each after eight. <laughs> but um, 
the Tories on Piers Bedeal. Now, Jane Mangan was, was all over this yesterday. I yeah, I, I heard that. Um, he's progressed each start. I mean, the win, narrow win in the Ballysacks was a, a, another step forward. Um, should get further as well. I haven't yet seen him in the flesh, and Jane was very positive about what he looks like in terms of his physique and athleticism as a horse. Um, Immediately after he won the Ballisax, Donnacho O'Brien was saying that he would run in the Derrinstown as well, didn't he? And instead he's coming straight here, which is intriguing. But he's got um, Ulysses and uh, his, his sire, um, light shift on both sides of the, of the pedigree. He's the previous Oaks winner. Um, he's, he's definitely going to stay. Um, yeah, he's a player. Yeah, he's got one of the better pedigrees in a race where there's a little bit thin on pedigree, actually, if you look all the way through it, of... Of the others, and there are loads of interesting ones from lots of different trainers, uh, all of whom are keen to have a crack at this, were there any that you think could take a big step forward? I thought Westover might. Mm -hmm. I I thought his win at Sandown was a little underestimated. And I think he will... And it's untested, isn't it? Because Cash and Goldspur haven't run since. Exactly. I think he will get the trip. Um, he can be a bit keen, but there were better signs last time, so he'd be interesting. I mean, there are some complete unknowns, like West Wind Blows, who we've only seen twice at Newcastle and Nottingham in Nov- Novice Company. Um, he did get loose before the start, didn't he, at Newbury, which makes you wonder that he might be a bit buzzy. I mean, there are, there are, there are a few of those here that might be like that. West Wind Blows being one of them, Walk of Stars potentially another, Sonny Liston can be keen so um, Masakela can be keen he was withdrawn before the start of the, the derby Who Yamal can be keen so um, there's a few and there's the very very inexperienced Al Habib as well the rank outsider so the, there are a few there's, there is the, the chance of a sort of chain reaction and quite a lot of fun and games prior to the race itself Yeah, El Habib's not quite in the Portuguese Lil category <laughs> of nutty outsiders for the derby because he did like record a racing post rating of 89 on his listed debut but it's a it's a big old ask, isn't it's it? It's a massive ask. It really is. You know, it's 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 a big ask. But I mean, there was there's always a big debate about whether horses like this should be allowed in a race like this. Yeah. What do you think? I, I'm 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 fine with it, to be honest. I'm yeah, me, I'm fine with it. Me too. And it, particularly with the race, I mean, this is a. A very early race in most horse, most of the horses taking part careers, and you've got no real grasp of what it is that they might be, and to exclude them on the basis of rating, because I think that's the only thing you could you exclude them on. Of course, El Habib hasn't got one yet; he's only run once. Would I just think that would be dangerous? You'd have ended up without the runner-up last year being in the race yeah. potentially. Yeah, well, you would have done. There's loads of placed horses down the years mm. you'd have ended up without, um, and possibly some winners as well. I mean. Would, would Charmit have got in the derby? No, he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't, no. Off no. the back of a maiden. Uh, the four, uh, yeah, and, and fourth at Doncaster on his two-year-old um, start, no. So, there you go. Um, that's, a, that's a look at the derby. It, I, I'm, I'm sensing that you're just coming round to Desert Crown all ends up. I, I mean, not even coming round to him, really. I was impressed at York, and the questions I had about him... Uh, the, the, only, the only thing is the inexperience, the large field and the rough race. But that's the derby, isn't it? Right, well, as Lydia was saying, we are sitting just outside the media centre and I just popped inside to uh, canvas opinion from our press room colleagues as to who's going to win uh, the derby tomorrow. Hi, Dave Ord, racing editor of Life.com. I fancy nation's pride for the Kazoo Derby. Martin Dixon from Racing TV. I like Desert Crown for the derby, who looked a class act in the dancing. I'm Rishi Passad, a contributor to the Nick Luck podcast. The heart says Desert Crown for the Derby, but I do have a financial interest on Nation's Pride, so I'm torn. Either way, I hope I'm going to be happy after the race is run. Uh, Bill Esdale, City AM, changing of the guard. Nick Robson, PA, Desert Crown. 
Phil Thomas from The Sun, and I fancy Nation's Pride to win it again for Charlie Appleby. Marcus Townend, Racing Correspondent, Daily Mail, and I'm tipping Donnacher O'Brien's His Badil. Uh, I am Lee Mofsted, an occasional contributor to this podcast, and I am going with Desert Crown. I've liked him since he won his maiden uh, at Nottingham back in November, and I very much hope he can deliver what I think will be by far the best winning story in this year's derby. Oh, um, Bill Barber, the industry editor of the Racing Post, not known for his tipping, but um, and no wonder because I'm going for the favourite. Desert Crown wins the derby. Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post. I'm going to go with one of the relative outsiders, Piz Badil, under classic specialist Frankie Vittori, a good winner of the Bally Sacks last time. All right, we'll breeze through today's Kazoo Oaks and today's Dull Breed Coronation Cup because by the time you listen to this, they might have already been run. <laughs> Marty, that's part of the fun, isn't it? I know, I know a certain trainer who likes to listen back to all the old episodes just, just to see how wrong we've got it. Give me a clue. Um, his name rhymes with Mugo Barma. <laughs> no, you have to. I need another yeah, clue. I know. I think you might fancy a couple of his horses this weekend. <laughs> Bad luck, you. Um, right, now, um, the Oaks. Is it a Gosden benefit, Emily Up, John Nashua, or not? I think they're probably the two best fillers in the race. I have concerns about each of them for different reasons. Uh, in terms of Emily Upjohn, I think she's got everything that she needs. I think she'll improve for the step up in trip. She, you know, her, her pedigree screams Epsom. She's very large, isn't she? She's a very big filly. And it's not something I totally associate with loving the twists, the undulations and the bends of Epsom. She, I know she was I've got to be the, careful with this because this is pure conjecture. She also only costs 60 grand as a yearling. Now, fine. There's a lot of cheaper horses than that that have won derbies even or whatever. But... The fact is, it does suggest that she is not conformationally perfect, doesn't it? And it does worry you a little bit around a track like this. Yeah, I think it's a much bigger uh, question than her keenness. I know lots of people have been talking about how she is in the preliminaries and that kind of thing. She was fine at York. She was a little bit keen in the early part of the race when Frankie Dettori purposely took her wide with no cover so that the other horses could settle down and, and get their racing position. And then he slotted her in. And once he slotted her in, she was fine. So for me, it's her frame that's the that's the big question about for her. Otherwise, I like her. Nashua looks very good indeed. I think she's out of the top drawer. She can be very, very keen, though. Could she be actually lit up by the whole occasion? And is that when are they going to play that brilliant turn of foot is she, is she the kind of filly that actually looks better at 10 furlongs looks more at home at 10 furlongs and it would be brilliance that got her home over a mile and a half what do you think well i'm rather hoping it's the latter because she's the one i've plumped for in the end i thought i would took a very positive view of that newbury race which was run in a pretty good time it was it was quicker than a very competitive london gold cup earlier in the card and uh, they were absolutely three good fillies i thought miles clear of some not bad ones i think she's very good you get no no argument with me about about that uh, i just did notice that some stayers were cutting her down later on and i don't think she was eased in the closing stages at newbury i mean she she on pedigree she should stay it and i think there's every chance she will but there if there are some fillies that are able to stay with her um they might have superior stamina and also um you know, when does when is she played? When does Holly Doyle play her with that turn of foot in the straight? Because it's a long straight, isn't it? And quite often the race can the die can be set shortly after you turn for home at the Tatnam Corner. So, so what happens then? I don't think Concert Hall will hold a position. I was surprised not to see headgear on her. Okay, and what about the other Bally Doyles Tuesday and Thoughts of June? Thoughts of June 
it's too slow isn't she i think so a question for you how strongly run do you think this is going to be because time forms say the pace is going to be strong and i'm not necessarily convinced that's going to be the case well it's a question i mean if presumably horse like thoughts of june's going to have to go forward Mm. to 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 make it a decent test for herself and i'd imagine the algarve won't be too far away either it's just a question of how strong they dare go really i I think so and that's not going to play to tuesday's strengths is it exactly i don't think tuesday's going to get home and you know concert hall okay the step up and trip will probably help her to some degree but I, i still don't think she holds her position well i think you saw it even over 10 furlongs let alone over the mile in the Irish Guineas last time. So, as I said, I think she need, she would have needed cheek pieces for me. Um, and I don't feel that Thoughts of June, June is good enough, no. Um, okay. So, have you, do you know who's going to win? Um, the honest answer is no. I mean, I think this is wide open. I think Rogue Millennium could take a big step forward. This is only her third start. I like the way that she knuckled down in the Lingfield Oaks trial. I thought that was very good. Tranquil Lady even is quite interesting. I mean, I know that she is literally held... Um, by a concert hall in the Salsaville Stakes, but that, but she bounced back and more so at the Blue Wind last time, going to the front quite readily. Looked like you know she left that seasonal debut miles behind. Even you know even Moon de Vega, I think, is not completely out of it. I mean, she was stopped at least twice and quite materially in the Cheshire Oaks behind Thoughts of June. She is a lot better than that bare finishing position. I think this is, and even with the moonlight, I mean, she's clearly taken a step forward for winning the the, the Pretty Polly last time um she's interesting as well i mean i'm i'm confused by the oaks i'll be honest because i I could keep i can come up with lots of positives and some negatives about all of them yeah i think nashua is going to win who's going to win the coronation cup uh, I think that's going to be pile driver and quite comfortably as well. Yeah, an underestimated horse, isn't he? I think he is. Uh, I just think he is. Um, he was unlucky in the Shim Classic. You know, he just got in a pocket and he had to switch round, and then he was running on again. He's got more natural pace and class than Hookham, I think, for at Group One level, particularly in a race like this. I think high definition. You know, a really aggressive ride brought about a, a career best performance last time. Maybe they'll try and replicate that, but yeah, I don't know. And Manobo, well, he's got to calm down. And after that, I know it was a ridiculous race in the Dubai Gold Cup, but nonetheless, he is keen quite often, and he has—he's not yet proved himself to be at this level, particularly over a mile and a half. So, yeah, I think Pile Driver is massively underestimated. All right. Well, the next two days are both World Pool Days. To tell us a bit more, the totes Jamie Hart is with me now. Jamie, I know you're on a long train journey down to Epsom at the moment, so the line might not be great, but you've got time enough to tell us what you're looking forward to this afternoon. Yeah, we're looking forward to probably £25 million pounds worth of turnover in the pools. People getting in from all around the world, mainly Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, France, America. Um, which does mean that with those different opinions in the pool, the prices will be very different from the UK market. And that's where the advantage comes for the UK player. Across last year, we had 15 overbroke books in the end. So, you know, there's a unique value in these pools. All right. And just tell me a little bit more about the competition you're running today. It's a great way to get involved. You can opt in for free if you've got a KUK account. Just register if you haven't. Uh, you bet. You only have to bet three bets, or you know, spend over ten pounds on the day, and then you qualify for the competition. You need to beat Jamie Benson's profit to make to share in the Beat Benson fund. He rarely makes a profit, so basically, if you make a profit, you normally get paid a decent amount on top of that. I think the, the forty-three quid dividend for the guineas one. And then if you get in the top 10, you qualify for the 50 grand end of season champion of champions, winner takes all competition. So it's, we're out there to see who the best better in the country is. 
Well, it is Friday, which means it's time to check in with James Willoughby in the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings. Spin you through the top 10 quickly, then plenty to get stuck into with the Derby and Oaks in mind. So, largely unchanged the top 10 since last week. 10 is Animo, 9 very elegant, now trained in France, of course. 8 is Euphoria, a 7 down 1. Here's the change, Zaki beaten in the Doom Men Cup at very short odds to the surprise of many, not least... Rider James McDonald, six. Up one is Nick's go. He'll be out soon because it'll be 150 days since he ran and he's been retired. Five is Jackie's Warrior. Four is Life is Good. Where next for him, I wonder. Three is Nature Strip. He'll be seen at Royal Ascot. Two is Hong Kong Star Golden 60. And number one is Baid. So two of the top three will run in three of the first four races at Royal Ascot. That'll shake things up a little bit. Um, what will this weekend bring? We'll come to that in a moment. The last week has brought quite a bit. James Willoughby, I think Bay Bridge is probably quite a good place to start. Start, isn't he? Uh, Sir Michael Stout's runaway winner of the Brigadier Gerard Stakes. Yes, this is Nick, this is one of the highest rated Group Three winners on the books. It scored 121 on our scale of performance figures, which of course is on the same level as the world's best racehorse ratings. And this catapulted Baybridge Michael Stout's progressive four-year-old up to this is his first Group race, world number 56. Now look at the rankings of the other Brigadier Gerard runners that night. Mostar Dafa, who's second, moves up to 249. Adabe uh, uh, comes back at 68. He's been as high as 12. Dubai Futures a non-entity, and Lord Glitters is now down to 127 in the world. So you could see that was better than your average uh, Group 3 race. And in thrashing them, we reckon this Bay Bridge is already verging on a world top 50 horse with plenty more to come. So he was the star in, in the UK, really, in the, last, in the last seven days or so. What about in the rest of the world? Well, the big race last week, as far as I was concerned, is the Japanese derby, just because of the strength and competitive element. And he got a good winner in uh, Do Deuce, who moves up from 249 to 23. The first four finished clear, Nick. Equinox, Ask Victor Moore, and the favourite, Danon Beluga. Now, we had Do Deuce the highest ranked of all competitors going into the race, and he didn't let us down. But what's interesting here is the real the, the, con, the contrast with the performance of these horses prior to the Japanese derby, the performance of the horses in America prior to the Kentucky derby, and it will get on to in a minute the performance of the horses prior to the Epsom derby, or the, the derby, is very, very different. And that means we're likely to see far less strength in depth for now in the European derbies than we have in Japan and America, which are very strong and they're underlined by loads of horses that have already got form in group and graded races. And so we've placed Dudu's at 23, or the computers placed Dudu's at 23. Here are the uh, European Classic winners so far. Native Trail is number 11. He heads them after the Irish Guineas win. Early voting, the Preakness winner is 18. Epicenters at 22, who's of course, placed in both the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby. And then, of course, Dudu's at 23, Caribus 24, and then the um, French Guineas winner Modern Games at 28. So you can see that, that they're massing ranks um, with an assault on the world's top five or six about to come, but from which horse? Yeah, and, and this is very interesting when you contrast that with, with these Derby horses because the, the highest rated horse in the Derby, in the rankings at present, is a horse who's run just twice, admittedly won just twice. He is the favourite, Desert Crown. James, he's down at 199. And it, it's a stark reminder, and it's been rather underwritten, of how little 
this field has actually achieved to this point. That's not to say they're bad horses. Far from it. There may be some very good ones in there, but they're completely untried, really, in top company. This is exactly the point. And you can say that that makes this year's Derby one of the more exciting ones because it's very possible that among their ranks is a star. But it's equally possible that what's going to emerge over the next couple of days in both the Derby and today's Oaks is that we see one or two good horses and a whole lot of imposters. Because a lot of the contenders have been talked up for the Derby and for the Oaks on the basis of flashy wins in lesser company. Will they step up to the mark? Plenty of them can improve 10 10 pounds or so and still not really be a top class horse. So that's the intrigue really. And that's, I guess, what betters are trying to achieve over the next two days in the, in the, in the classics at Epsom, which is kind of project potential rather than bet form, which is what centrally is the task in, in horse race betting. Which horse can step up to the mark the most? Some are starting from a higher threshold than others. Desert Crown looks to have everything you look for in a, in a Derby winner. But as I say, Desert Crown can improve a good deal and not win. James, I, I found it incredibly difficult to, to get a handle on the race. I'm, I go one minute from thinking, well, I can narrow it down to three. And then no sooner have I done that than I think, well, maybe because they've all achieved so little tangibly, I should start poking around in the, in, in the weeds a little bit and try and dig out an outsider. Have you, I mean, leaving, leaving the rankings aside just for a second, have you tried to have a, have a stab at this as a, as a punter? Well, I think you've, set, you've summed it up perfectly. When there is a great deal of uncertainty, in the long run, one should always play at a big price. There's no doubt about that whatsoever from a mathematical perspective, is that when you, the, the information is sparse in any kind of prediction test, then you need to have a good reward because risk is high. And so it behoves you, I think, to look among the, the longer-priced horses. And, well, when I do that, there's one horse I really like at a big price, and, and this is a horse that actually has got some form on the roof, and it's Westover. Ah. And he's available at 25 to 1 or more. And one thing that's interesting when you look at projecting ability in racehorses, and this is something that the TRC Global Rankings tells us ahead of races like the Kentucky Derby and the Derby, is the importance of pedigree. We've seen incre increasingly amongst some of the top tipsters in this part of the world that they're increasingly understanding that pedigree is one of the most important things that you can take into account when you're making a bet. Now, I don't know about the jumps because I don't get involved with that, but certainly in flat racing, it's true. And you see, last year we had in this race, the, the big theme of the derby was the emergence of Frankel as the successor to Galileo. And in Adair and Hurricane Lane, we saw two horses that not just figured prominently in last year's race, but also very much looked the part walking around beforehand and when I see Westover, who's the son of Frankel, first of all, I think he looks the part. Second of all, I don't think he's had a test yet that's really going to suit him. And one of the other things about pedigree is the downside of families. What we've seen over the decades, over the centuries, is that top breeders curate bands of broodmares which have dominant eras. And for my money, the band curated by Judmont Farms out of the late Khalid Abdullah those pedigrees very much are on a different level to everybody else's, if you ask me, collectively. The rate at which they produce great horses is really remarkable. And that's another reason that I think Westover's pedigree by Frankel out of Mirabilis, by Lear Fan. It's another reason I think that, that he can step up a good deal on what he's done so far. And I think he offers quite a, a, a deal of value. 
and he comes from from stall two never been successful in the race since the stalls were introduced in 1967 but we saw ad ar win from stall one yesterday and of course that's built into your price you're getting a huge price about westover right. big test for rob hornby as well one of five uh, derby jockeys in the race never to have ridden in the race before and it's a 17 runner race right. as kieran fallon was saying to us yesterday but no doubt a very interesting runner the oaks this afternoon again from a rankings point of view this is really quite interesting, James, because I would still have confidently expected Emily Upjohn to be atop the rankings, but she's not. Well, it's very close, really. Um, there are two standout performances uh, so far we've seen. The Nace's Blue Wind, uh, which was won by Tranquil Lady, which the computer rated at 114. And, of course, the Musidora Stakes, that was won by Emily Upjohn, which the computer, I think, was on 111, 112, something like that, in between those two numbers. And so these are, again, figures well below what you'd expect the average Oaks winner to achieve, Nick. So, it, again, we're playing projection, aren't we? Um, Emily Upjohn, a daughter of See the Stars uh, out of a Barathea Matt. Nashua, who many people fancy, who's got a step up, but hasn't run in a, a group race yet. She's another daughter of Frankel out of a pivotal mare. Aidan O'Brien feels a Galileo and a Dubawi. There's, there are top flight pedigrees galore in this race as there are in the derby it's basically a guess a, a guess up you can look at emily up john say yeah john gosden you know this looks like every, every step she's taken so far as that of a world-class horse and everything it's all very true but in terms of, a, of what she's achieved it's not what's required yet she's got to improve and every horse in this race is going to improve for the test it's a matter of who steps up the most she seems by far the most likely winner in terms of potential but Tranquil Lady, she might just be a horse who's available at 12 to 1, double figure price, our, our top ranked horse in this race. And she might just be a horse that's, that's just improved. And she's by Australia, who's a sire that we've always ranked very highly. In. Um, and we think probably that Coolmore should, should um, use more really top mares on, because I think he can really do the business. And just before I leave you, James, I'm just going to tee up something for next week. And that is that eight days from now, we'll be talking about the, the Belmont Stakes and the, uh, and the Met Mile at Belmont Park and a clash in that race between Speaker's Corner, who's currently starting to nudge his way toward the top 10 at 15 for Bill Mott and Godolphin and the currently unranked flight line. Unranked because he runs so infrequently, he keeps slipping out how the rank he's slipping off the edge yeah. of the world. So that's just one just to tease you with for, for a week from now. Yeah, Flightline achieved a performance rating with us in the 120s. Um, but we have a rule, as you've already touched on, that if a horse doesn't run for 150 days or more, he's disqualified from the, the rankings. That's a, a very suspicious absence, and it means that you lose confidence that something hasn't gone wrong or the horse has been retired. We want to keep horses in the rankings up to then to provide ballast for the rankings. But, yeah, to answer your question, I think that, that as I said two weeks ago, we're at a stage in the season where potential is being turned into achievement. And this race, I, I cannot wait to see it. Flightline is a horse that's, that's been talked up um, as being some sort of American version of Frankel in terms of what he's achieved. And the way he's done it as well against the clock has caused many people to think that he's something very much out of the ordinary. But yeah, I, I, I would look at the, the top race the last 25 years when there's a Bill Mott runner, they invariably do not disappoint. And in Speaker's Corner, he's got a horse who, well, I, I think could be really something too. He's won three out of his four group races. We rated him 120, graded stakes, sorry. We rated him 122 when he won the Carter and 120 
for the Grade 2 Gulfstream Park Mile. So he's a horse that's already got two top-notch. Remember, we define 120 as being the, uh, the international standard of world-class quality for a race. So he's got two performances already on the board, Speaker's Corner. And I think, Nick, a third is coming, and, and we can see that next week. Well, the Derby this weekend getting a wide international audience. It's not just viewers in the UK who'll be treated to the Platinum Jubilee Derby. And in advance of these major fixtures in association with our friends at HBA Broadcast Media Distribution, we just like to give you a, a flavour, really, of where you can see our key races. And recently, HBA uh, developed a partnership with Racecourse Media Group, the key distributor here in, in the United Kingdom, and their director of uh, international broadcast and public affairs, Seb Vance, joins me now. Uh, Seb, just give us a flavour of who will be showing the race day. Yeah, thanks for having us, Nick. Um, well, first of all, we're delighted with the, the take-up. It's, it's well up on previous years, thanks obviously largely to the Kazoo Derby being an official part of the Platinum Jubilee celebrations and working with Henry Bertels and his excellent team at HBA Media alongside the Jockey Club. We've scored around 50 broadcasters, but we probably look to double that once you take into consideration all the news outlets post-event and we've engaged a number of agencies to, to help us distribute the coverage. Um, but of the 50 so far, we've got around 35 showing live coverage of Derby Day and around 15 news and lifestyle broadcasters on site. And the Eye-catching ones include Good Morning America on ABC, Sky News Australia here. We've got ITV's Lorraine live from Epsom. We've got BBC Breakfast here tomorrow. And then we've got state broadcasters from the likes of France, Portugal, Germany, Poland, also showing coverage for their news bulletins. But I'd say pretty much wherever you are in the world, you'll have access to watch the race day live. Nick, we've got, uh, we've got Fox in the US, ESPN Star in Latin America, Sports Max in the Caribbean, Super Sport in Africa. We've got Eclat in Southeast Asia. And we've got broadcasters in Hong Kong, Japan, Australasia. Dubai Racing Channel will be here tomorrow, Nick. Um, and then we've got a host of European broadcasters and, of course, ITV, Racing TV, and Virgin in the UK and Ireland. So, as I said, I think wherever you are, in the world, you, you will have access to watch the race. And what's really exciting this year, Nick, is that working with, with HBA Media, we've also attracted half a dozen or so new broadcasters, including really key territories like Sony in India and Wasu in China, which were probably holes in the, in the distribution map in previous years. But we've, we've filled those in now, which is, which is really exciting. It just shows that, you know, how, how popular... Uh, the, the races, but also the monarchy is across the world, and just how much uh, a storyline can you know resonate, yeah. um, which is outside the racing and, and sporting sphere. So obviously the Platinum Jubilee has increased interest massively, but when it comes to normally selling and distributing racing to broadcasters, do you find it's a it's a very hard sell? Are you having to be at it the whole time, or, or not? Yeah, I'm afraid it is that way. Um, deals just don't land in your lap broadcasters very rarely approach you so you have to go out there and, and market hard uh, and, and that's why we teamed up with HBA this year and we pulled our resources uh, and, and what we've done which is really really exciting this year um, is, is we as I said, teamed up with HBA and we created this this year-long premium package so that's around 12 showpiece race days throughout the year and that includes 
the RNG portfolio of races, like the Dubai World Cup, Grand National Derby, International Sussex British Champions Day, but it also includes HBA showpiece races, so Saudi Cup, Pegasus, Royal Ascot, ARC, Breeders' Cup, Melbourne Cup. So we pulled all those races together to create this year-round um, package of, of top-class racing. And the broadcasters really appreciate that because it, it gives them the opportunity to, to really build momentum from race day to race day and create the storylines. Whereas in previous years, we were, we were distributing and selling racing as, as standalone events, which, which is much harder for, for broadcasters and their audiences to engage with. So, so thanks to that new package, we've, we have seen an uptick as well in, in, in interest for, for our race days. But, um, you know, obviously the, 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 the Kazoo Derby Day being part of the official Platinum Jubilee celebrations this year has really, uh, has really helped things. And, and just to give you an indication of how much, uh, you know, a, a storyline like this can, can resonate with broadcasters. Last year, when, when Rachel Blackmore won the Grand National, we had around 100 news outlets taking, uh, taking footage from the day. And normally we'd have maybe 20. Um, so, you know, if you can, if you can grab onto a, a storyline or, or have one, you know, such as the one we've got this weekend, then it really will resonate with broadcasters and it'll, it'll all help uh, promote racing around the world and, and our racing, which is obviously really important. Well, the great thing about doing this podcast on the course on a big day is that not only can Lydia and I just chew the fat and sit face to face, but we can um, accompany it with something, you know, sort of fairly outrageous for this time in the morning. Uh, courtesy of the the wine tipster it's great that he can just just come along and be our personal butler for the day it's absolutely fantastic as you know i do insist on it yeah. uh, uh, if we're at a race meeting um so it's good to have neil here um as required yeah neil phillips is i mean he's not simply here to open bottles of champagne for us at nine o'clock in the morning he is he is good at that though. he's extremely good at it <laughs> oh what a sound what a sound. But you are busy. You are busy over the next couple of days, which is why we've got to get you early because you're quite instrumental in the, in the whole catering setup here. You're not just here to talk tips and booze. That's right, Nick. I mean, Thank plenty you. going on. You know, this has been going on for months and all the preparation. General Manager Mark Hillman's done a great job. But you've got all the briefings going on. We've got a Moet and Chandon dining experience where you've got a champagne from Moet and Chandon paired with a different dish. And lots of guests won't have had that experience. So we've got to get on, make sure that experience is working properly for everybody, which it will. But also, I think it's really important to say across all the retail elements... Nick, you know, it's just lots of different choices for everybody now. More local supply as well, more sustainable, more vegan, you know, all these messages and we've got to get all of those right and give people, when they come to the course, if they're not doing fine dining, what can they walk around and actually get? And you remember years ago you go somewhere about two stands, whereas now you've got loads of choices. We've been talking about this quite a bit recently, haven't we? Yeah, we we really have. I think someone, I mean, if you you just look at, at, at what's available now and just look at where you can sit, where you can access and what you can do here for the Kazoo Derby Festival it's so much different to how it used to be say even five years ago I think it's really moved on to a, to a large degree I think more widely what racecourses need to do is to make sure that that kind of um, philosophy is brought to their day-to-day stuff you know the, the, the local the being aware of how people's food needs and food wants are changing and that, that their everyday offering needs to move in the same way but what is available today here, here at Epsom today and tomorrow is fantastic 
people sort of want something quite aspirational and quite smart, yeah. but they want to be relaxed at the same time. So it's smart without being stiff, isn't it? I think that's the. I think that's right. I, I, th- I think that's <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. right. And and uh, you know, it helps it's a, if it's a lovely day. But I think the, the, the atmosphere of Epsom really does help that, and the the, the centre of the track, you know, the hill, the 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 sort of the beauty of it as well, uh, you know, and and I, and the the sort of the fun element as well. I think think really helps, and it, it is. I think in that, that element of this meeting has massively grown. I mean, you think about um, well, Ascot for that, obviously. You think about Glorious Goodwood, the Cata Festival, but now increasingly you think about these two days. Absolutely, uh, Neil. If Her Majesty the Queen makes a non-surprise, surprise, non-surprise appearance tomorrow, so she was going to come and then she wasn't going to come, and now she's not at St Paul's today, and there's still a possibility she turns up for for the Derby, which I'm sure is the bit that she'd actually like to do over the course of Jubilee weekend. Does that change everything for the, the catering staff here? Does that sort of um, throw everyone on on red alert? Everybody's ready, and everybody's been ready for a while now with all the different. It's thinking with all the different scenarios here, Nick, and they're ready to go. The, the head chef here, Riso, has been working on this for months. So we're ready because you have to be. And one of the things we notice now is you get more, generally, more requests about allergens. It's a key, key piece, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Being what, what are, what, being upfront about it, what are guest requirements? And so that's all in hand. And, but one of the things, it's a big operation here. You've got 1,200 people working in catering today. 1200 yeah i know that's something you know lydia was just saying which i agree with how things have changed the experience has changed i agree with you about every meeting whatever it's always been about getting a a good cup of tea good coffee quality or something local but that you know that scale and when guests walk around you you are so much there's so much to do here and so much choice for everybody which i think it also ties in with the whole hill the experience Mm. the fun atmosphere and that's what we've got to reflect you know but we're ready for her majesty absolutely (laughs) that's fantastic we're ready for her majesty says says wine tipster what do what are we what are we toasting the what do what are we toasting platy jubes with today? <laughs> like that? Yeah, I, I yeah. saw it. I saw it being called platy jubes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, no, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> I sounded very authoritative earlier, didn't I? But anyway, um, <laughs> thanks, Lydia. <laughs> right here we have Nightimber, English sparkling from Sussex they've got some vineyards in Kent and Hampshire as well and I wanted to really treat you because we've got their classic cuvee they've got their stand here about half a mile half a furlong down the course so a great view actually as well from there over the, across the hill and over the racing of course of the classic cuvee this is their Blanc de Blanc so it's 100% Chardonnay it's from 2014 Sherry Spriggs the winemaker is doing a brilliant job and I just think this is a beautifully crafted wine and they have got great consistency with what they're doing and they're bringing something very premium in the style of wines they're making really and I just thought it would be really great for you to taste this Lydia How would you describe this now? Well we're going in now (laughs) I feel like I'm on sort of food and drink (laughs) (laughs) It's very elegant Chardonnay gives you that elegance. That's what I like about that creaminess. Mm. But also... Creamy, that's a good word. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah. Here we go. This is a food and drink show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Lydia, give us a bit no, more. I, mean, I, I don't necessarily have the vocabulary for it, but when you said that, I recognised what you meant. <laughs> this is going well. This. We're doing a You're wine the podcast very <laughs> Julie Golden. I was, was going to say, I'm not going to do a Julie Golden impression. <laughs> Tom Stanley used to go out with her daughter. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes. Another for many, one. many years. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. It's really great content. Yeah, thank me for that one. <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah, 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 I love that. But I think, uh, but also one thing to think about is actually how long the finish is here. 
when you taste this wine because it really does have a really nice length of finish. Shani gives you that, it's got the elegance. This is a beautifully made wine and it's really lovely to drink now. I'm getting more and more into English sparkling wine. Mm. Um, I think it's it's really really good. And um, funny enough, I've cycled past their vineyards a few times so, and wondered what what, it, what it's like. I think this is delicious. Yeah. And they, they, it, it is. And then we are we've got so many players now, Lydia, which is great. That's what's exciting mm. about it. If you went a few years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago, less players obviously, but quality wise, it's really great. They also make a really really good rosé as well, which is also on the stand here at Epsom. Beautiful. Well, I think um, I think that just about brings things to a glorious conclusion. How about the non-alcoholics amongst us, the people who who want to come here and don't the, want the to who? Drink? <laughs> yes, yeah. Let, let, that, what? That, <laughs> those people who who aren't happy with a glass of wine in their hand at some unfeasible hour in the morning. Neil, what what can they get here? <laughs> <laughs> this is now a food and wine podcast, but it's very important, Lydia, because uh, it's a really good question. Because here we have got. People are coming, they're not, they're not drinking or they're driving. We've got to give them some choice. And it's not just about having a pineapple juice or orange juice. Mm. We've done, so we have Wild Idol Sparkling, which is no alcohol. It is made with grapes, but it's made in a slightly different method to wine. So they are never, they're not fermenting the wine. That means you don't have the sugar turning, going, turning everything to alcohol mm. there. So, but they've done a really good job. And what we're offering, it's available in the restaurants. So if somebody says, I'm having afternoon tea, but I want to actually have a zero alcohol sparkler, they can have that Wild Idol. And so, that's important. So this isn't sort of like sparkling grape juice that we all know of old. It's better than that, I assume. I'm going to sound quality, authoritative again. It is quality, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really important because the last thing you want to do when you're driving and everybody else mm. is having a drink, and particularly in a sort of civilised occasion, is to sort of sit there and feel like you're seven with a glass of Coke. Yeah, uh, or, or, or latterly, I've always felt sorry for teetotalers who despise elderflower. Is <laughs> 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 that is that another? <laughs> yeah. Yes, just what I always wanted. <laughs> I mean, it ha- you know, we have to move. It's like we're doing with food. You have to move, and it's not. Guests are paying the same money. They should have a chance to have the same experience. You know. Well, we know. I know that you will be tipping fine wine in tomorrow's dash, in Saturday's dash, Neil. Um, but as we draw to the conclusion of uh, the pre-Derby podcast, Lydia, are you going to give your your best advice for the weekend? I am. It's not in the Derby itself, isn't it? No, no. I mean, I. I like, I, I like Desert Crown. I think Desert Crown could be it. So I've, I've gone elsewhere. I've gone to a 10 furlong three-year-old handicap that opens Ooh. proceedings on the Saturday, which is the Kazoo handicap. And I like Knowlton Cross. I think he should have won at Sandown last time with a more positive ride, making use of his stamina. I think he'll get an aggressive ride from Sylvester D'Souza and I think things will be perfect for him here. I like Sylvester D'Souza at Epsom. Mm, me too. In races like this. That's Knowlton Cross in the two o'clock, the Kazoo handicap epsom saturday derby day tomorrow um join us on racing tv today and tomorrow for all the live action um you can catch it elsewhere as well as you heard seb vance telling you a little bit earlier on but uh, you know what you need to do and uh, we will see you again after the weekend that was episode i think 498 cheers You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.